I don't know about you, but something happened this week. I, I learned some several things. Um, the, me the second part of last week's message is going to be next week because I'm going to have sort of like a, a parenthetical insert today because some things have been happening that if as a pastor of this uh, church and a shepherd of this flock, um, I need to tell you what's going on. And I'm sure most of you are, uh, are catching up with um, events around the world. But I don't think anyone here can have imagined at the start of this year where we would be in July this year with things that are happening all around the world. It's absolutely astonishing. And uh, it is um, in the vein of that thing that we're going to be looking at what's happening. And uh, there was some information given to us by several doctors uh, online this week. And you'll know that there's a couple of people, famous people in the world at the moment who are trying to develop a vaccine for the you-know-what. I'm getting sick and tired of this, the, the virus, uh, COVID-19. And we have, we have medical people here in the, um, in the fellowship. And they were saying that the, there has to be something um, weird about this process because coronavirus is just a flu. I mean, it's not just a flu, it's a, it's a, I think it's a modified one in, in my own opinion because of its infectionality. But one of the things that um, really gets me is that the reason why we have a flu vaccine offered every year is because coronaviruses mutate not long after they hit a certain uh, community. And that's by very their very nature. Um, we have never been able to have a proper flu vaccine because it's just a guesstimate by the, the health industry that this might be the strain that you might get this year. And last year was a um, notable time because um, several of the people who got, uh, many people who got very sick last year um, was in, as a result of the fact that the vaccine didn't, wasn't relevant to last year's flu. And so you begin to ask yourself what's happening behind the scenes to develop this um, vaccine. And it becomes very personal to my wife and I because when uh, things started to open up, my wife works at the Orthodox Jewish home up in Dianella. And everyone was told that if they want to come back and resume work, they have to have the flu vaccine. And my wife uh, has never had a flu vaccine. She never gets crook. Uh, and so she was really upset about that. So, uh, but it was mandatory. So what do you do? She's got responsibilities there with, with um, um, the lady that she looks after. So she took the, the she had to go to the vaccine and take, sorry, to the doctor and go and get the vaccine. And um, she's had a very rough ride since she took the vaccine. She's uh, been feeling unwell and uh, having, she had skin problems and all the rest of it. And she was very upset about that. And so there are consequences to doing things. Am I anti-vaccine? No, because my mum was saved by one in 1949. Uh, it's, it's what they're doing with them these days that really bothers me. There's nothing wrong with the science behind a normal vaccine, which is to put into your system dead cells of the type of the, the disease they're trying to um, 
ameliorate. Uh, but we now know that if, if you've been online and you're following what's happening, is they're adding more and more and more and more, and they're putting in preservatives, heavy metals, and all the rest of it. And uh, it, it really is um, distressing because they are now, there's, there's information coming out that they are going to start with this COVID-19 vaccine. They're going to put in elements there that are going to change your DNA. They're going to modify your DNA. Uh, and that is going to have all sorts of consequences. We were listening to a very uh, competent doctor uh, yesterday and after a half an hour, she just burst into tears. She said, because they're, they're not even going to trial this through a three-year process, you're just going to get, get it at the start of next year. And if you don't take it, there's going to be enormous restrictions on your freedom and your lifestyle. Um, and so uh, the whole point about today is we're going to open up with two psalms. Why? Because regardless of what's happening in this world at the moment, as those songs were singing, God is our refuge. He is our safety. He is our saviour. And he is our protector. And he is our strong shield. And whatever um, certain people have planned... As the children of God, we can rely on him and go to him. And uh, he will, you know, he's protected Sue and I through many, many things. But it's getting to the stage where we really need to be careful about um, what we're going to do uh, in the future and what, uh, at what cost it will be. And so I want you, if you've got your Bibles, um, and we're going to go to Psalm 2, because we're in a Psalm 2 environment at the moment especially when you look at the first three verses. And Psalm 2 verse 1 says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the father and the son saying this, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What they're saying is we don't want any God anymore. Uh, and and I, I quoted that verse from Judges uh, last week, Judges uh, uh, 21 verse 25. There was no king in the land, uh, semicolon, and therefore everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What does that lead to? Civil chaos. If everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes and have no regard for anyone else in society, we're going to have chaos. And this is what they're actually proposing. But your father and mine, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. And one of the things you have to understand when you're reading um, Psalms and, and prophecies and all the rest of it there are things that are attributed to the Lord which we call anthropomorphisms. And that is we try and use human descriptions to apply to a divine being. And um, the last thing I would want you to think of mentally is God up there having a bit of a belly laugh. All right, This is what 
it's an emotion that he has, but he doesn't do things like the way we do things. So if he's sitting in, heaven, in, in the heavens and laughing and holding them in derision, he's still that omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God that he always has been and always will be. He's not one day older now than he was yesterday. He's just not. He's just there. He's our strong shield. He's our protector. And he shall speak to them. This is the people who want to cast him away in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. And he says this, Yet have I set my king, Jesus, on my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the decree. And this is what Jesus says, The Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Come, Lord, that's the millennial kingdom, where finally righteousness will reign. And you break them with the rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's at the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled even but a little, and the last line, this is for us, and blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I have, you know, I, my um, lovely old mum and dad, dad was born in 1915, mum was born in 1917, and when they grew up, they, they had to face um, the Great Depression, they had to face the Second World War, they had to face the Korean War, uh, but in throughout their life, they had this amazing peace and assurance in them that they could trust their doctor, they could trust their mayor, they could trust their prime minister, they could trust their bank manager, they could trust... They just had trust in people. And I can't remember a time when that trust was broken. And there was a time when there was decency and there was times when there was integrity and people would act with integrity in whatever profession they were. No one was, per not everyone was perfect, but there was a solidity about that time. And you know, um, Australia and New Zealand were both very uh, blessed through that time. Regardless of your politics, you had Robert Menzies for a long time and we had Keith Holyoke for a long time. We had him for 12 years. And uh, it was like growing up in that system, you knew every day that every, everything was safe and everything was secure and, and uh, you know, so long as you weren't in Vietnam during the 60s, you were, you, life was great. Life was really great. Now you contrast it up to here, uh, it's just, um, it's gone crazy. Uh, and the, the question is, who do you trust anymore? I mean, you trust in the Lord but when we see what's happening, particularly in America, that they have mayors and governors doing and saying things that just leave me astonished. They are letting prisoners out. They're going to let 18,000 prisoners out of Californian jails over the next four weeks to save them from the virus. And as my wife said, why don't they just give them a mask 
and keep them in jail. But that's too sensible. That's too sensible. You know, and, and we do, do laugh and, and in fact, insanity is reigning at the moment. It is in... Anyway. So this is, this is um, really, this is a heartfelt thing that we have to keep focused on our Father in heaven. We have to pray to Jesus. We have to really live with him every hour of every day with what's happening at the moment. And the second psalm is, I really want you to turn to, this is my favourite, Psalm 91. And just the first 10 verses. And you know, um, it's, um, this psalm is amazing because they've never attributed it to anyone. If you look at the, every Bible, and, and I've got about nine different translations, um, it always says anonymous. Psalm 91, anonymous. And I'm thinking to myself as I was preparing this week's message, um, this is a psalm that you and I can write. This is our psalm. We're not stealing it off anyone. Someone's just placed it in the Bible and it's our psalm. This is our position. He who dwells, that's us, in the shelter of the Most High, will remain secure and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, whose, uh, oh, this, by the way, this is the, um, whose power no enemy can withstand. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Amen. Boy, is he ever now. My God in whom I trust. For he will save you from the trap of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Boy, do we need that at the moment. He will cover you and completely protect you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a wall. And you will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but danger will not come near you. You will only look on with your eyes and witness the divine repayment of the wicked because you have made the Lord your refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil will before you, nor will any plague come near your tent. And if you can't rest securely in those two psalms, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> now I'm going to give you a little bit of um, background to this whole situation that we're facing at the moment. And this hasn't what we've experienced this year has not come out of the blue. This thing has been in planning for decades. It's been in planning for decades. And we've been, many people have been blind to what's happening. Um, and I want to, Eric, can you put the, um, the gallery up? I don't know if you can see it very well, but we have a hierarchy of people who are trying to, can I say, take over this world. And I don't have any animosity to them uh, because 
it's interesting that this, this is happening now, but a lovely lady in this congregation gave my wife a book about two or three weeks ago. And it was about Christians in the time of the communis, of communism uh, under Nikolai Ceausescu in Romania. And it was about what they suffered in prison. And it was astonishing what they suffered in prison. The torture and the brutality was beyond belief. But they had it so scientifically arranged that they would torture you and, and uh, terribly treat you, but never kill you. And then they would let you recover and then they would do it again. It was a science. And, and you know, I was getting like this, reading, and Sue handed it to me one day and said, look, just read this, L read what Christians suffered in Romania under Ceausescu. Do you know the astonishing thing? The amazing thing in that book is that the man who wrote this book and several of his friends in prison were praying for their tormentors. They were praying for their salvation as they were being beaten, as they were being electrocuted, as they were doing, they were praying for their tormentors. And do you know what? Two of the worst became Christians. Two of the worst became Christians. And I had to examine my heart and I thought to myself, if I was undergoing that, have I got enough love for my Father in heaven? Have I got as, as much obedience to his commands that love your enemies? Love your enemies. And you know what? One of the tormentors that um, became a Christian and saw this man when he was eventually released from prison, they met up. This man said to him, do you know, we always had the most utmost respect for you Christians. And I'm thinking to myself, that's where I need to get to. So when I'm showing you this and when I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what's developing over the next few months, it's not because um, I have any anger or hatred to these people because when I was immature, um, I'm 65. A lot of you aren't. But when I was a 12-year-old kid, something happened, and a lot of you come from Africa. Something happened in Africa that really upset me as a 12-year-old kid. And I don't know if any of you remember it, but it was the Nigerian Civil War between Nigeria and Biafra. Biafra wanted to break away from Nigeria. And we were flooded with um, pictures in the news at night at the concentration camps where they were holding the Biafrans. And people are nodding because they remember that. And I can remember being so angry and saying, Lord, if you just gave me 300 SAS soldiers, we could go over there and, and sort the whole thing out and save these people. I was so distressed. But what I've learned is if you get rid of one bad bunch of baddies, the next bunch is just going to fill their, their place. And last week we started a series called The Plan of God and nothing happens on this earth that God doesn't allow. You've got to understand that. And even the good and the bad are having to take place because we are being conditioned now for a period of time that we call the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation plus the great tribulation, the second half. And the whole of the world is getting conditioned and getting ready for it. 
And even what, what astonished me, you know, when this Black Lives Matter thing popped up about a month ago, six weeks ago, even my 35-year-old son and my 15-year-old grandson came to Sue and I and said, you know, we have to really look back and see what we did, you know, as white people in the past. And I'm saying, listen, um, there were things done that shouldn't have been done, but I was given a, um, a book years ago uh, by a friend of mine called The Washing of the Spears. And I don't know if any of you have read it, but it's a history of Africa before white people ever turned up. And it's fair to say that there's nothing new under the sun. Because when white people weren't the problem, intertribal warfare was the problem. And do you know what the real problem is? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The human heart is dis desperately wicked above all things and he can know it or understand it. And so that's why I am waiting for the King of Righteousness to come and grab us, train us up and bring us back. I can't wait to see a thousand years of righteous government on this earth finally and finally. But can we have the um, rogues gallery, I mean, sorry, the um, portrait, please? It is funny if it wasn't so serious, do you know what I mean? But it is serious. So you've got, you've got layers. And so at the very top, you've got the Queen, you've got the Rockefellers, you've got the Rothschilds, and you've got the Vatican. And, um, you know, when, when they announce that someone like Mark Zuckerberg or um, um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, you know, they've got $100 billion or... Gates, $100 billion, that they're the richest people in the world. Give me a break. The Rothschilds, that's pocket money for them. That's pocket money. These people at the very top, you have got no idea how much money they have. When Chuck Missler was still alive in the last few years of his life, he actually, um, because he knew people in the world finance and banking industry, he told me this. We hosted him twice here in Perth. He said the Rothschilds, when he was still alive, were worth a net $500 trillion. Why? Because they've been at it for 400 years. The Rockefellers are worth $200 trillion. And do you know where they got it from? Most of it. I mean, they made a lot of money everywhere else, but do you know where they got it from? If I was to tell you and give you the name of a place, Jekyll Island, and make 1913 the date where that place, uh, that event took place, would you know anything about it? That was the uh, island and the place just off um, South Carolina where all of the bankers in the world met secretly that in that year, and they put together the US Federal Reserve, which is neither US and it's not a reserve bank. It's a bank owned by these people. And what they have done over the last 107 years is stolen trillions of dollars from the American economy. And you have got to... It's astonishing because they didn't have any money 
But what they did is the, is the uh, and Herbert Hoover um, signed it into law. Do you know what, when they put the bill to Congress, it was at 11 um, p.m. at night on Christmas Eve, 2013, there were only three senators and three congressmen in, in the whole place, and they signed the bill into law. And they were employees of these guys. Hello? And so what they've done over the last... And you, you would not believe it. It would take these people to think about it. The US government would need, see, back in those days, $5, $5 billion. We'd need $5 billion. So the US Reserve says, we will give you $5 billion. They would create it out of nothing and then the, the bank, uh, the, the um, US government would have to pay them back the real money plus interest. And I don't know if you know about fractional reserve banking, but you know the bank that you trust and you've got all your money with and you all your superannuation with? They operate on a fractional reserve banking system, which means you might have put um, a, a billion dollars uh, People might have put a billion dollars into one of our big four banks, and what they do is we've got a billion dollars. Law, the law only requires us to keep 8% of that on hand at any time. So we can loan out the other $920 million to people. And we make all the money and interest on people paying back that money to us. It's called fractional reserve lending. And um, when I started my mining company, I walked into one of these big banks and uh, I said, I need seven and a half million. And they said, how much collateral you've got? And I said, nothing. Um, and it, look, KPMG, our lawyers, other lawyers said, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. Six months, they gave me the seven and a half million dollars with a lot of work. But you know what they do? Is they put seven and a half million dollars in my bank. And then I have to recreate that money by giving it back to them in real dollars. Because every single bank that opens up its doors, every single Monday to Friday at 9.30 is technically insolvent. People are going like this. Why? Because if every one of us went back on one day and asked for our money bank back, they can't give it to you. And that's what my, my, our corporate lawyer, when I was running the company, he laughed. He said, you know, um, some people were going broke that we knew about, so we were trying to help them. And he said, you know, and I said, they're, they're, they're facing insolvency. And he laughed and he said, listen, Stuart, he said, every bank is insolvent every day at 9.30 in the morning. You, that, that's why you can't have a run on banks. That's why when we've had the 2008 uh, financial crisis and now we've got what's happening around the world is governments inject money into the system so you don't go to the bank and pull yours out. This is what's happening. And so I'm going to show you. So they're the really rich people that you don't ever hear about. Then you've got the Warren Buffett, George Soros, Kissinger, Gates, Bloomberg, Bezos, and Zuckerberg. They're the visible face of what's going on. Um, and their agenda is population control and reduction. 
a global digital currency and a one-world government. And their formula is cause the problem and then sell you the solution. Is it any wonder why I can't wait for Jesus to come back and sort this all out? So fund the reaction. Lockdown, masks and distancing, riots and lawlessness, anarchy and chaos. Solution, a vaccine ID microchip, a cashless system and a new world order. There's nothing new under the sun. God has promised us a kingdom of righteousness with holy government for a thousand years and this is the devil's best bet to try and beat him to it. And it's just absolutely amazing. So what is happening is everything that that you have seen come to fruition this year hasn't just popped up because of a virus. It's been in place for decades. And I I don't think that many of you understand. Does anyone here um, understand or the history behind the Humanist Manifesto? You don't? Okay. In 1933, Western intellectuals in Europe and America got together because of the success of communism taking over Tsarist Russia. And they put together a humanist manifesto stating that man was now his own God. We don't need religion. We don't need anything else. And we're going to have this thing called humanism. And what they did was they fed hundreds and hundreds of young men into the seminaries in America and Europe. They fed uh, students into the universities and they, uh, they put other um, people into the teachers college who were communists and so over the last few decades those people have worked their way through the system so that they're at the very top of their respective um, institutions and they're training up the children. Hitler and, and Stalin said if you can get the children you've got the society and if children's church and you People here, parents and grandparents, aren't mentoring your children in the ways of the Lord, you better do it because it's their only safety in the years to come that they will actually come, uh, come, you know, rise up in the Lord. And so what's happened is that, can you remember after World War II, there was a senator called Joe McCarthy and he was uh, running the, um, the Senate investigation into un-American activities. And what he was trying to do was to trying to stand against the infiltration of communism into American institutions. And then people started making fun of him. And then the media started picking on him and calling him all sorts of names. But he was trying to stand against what was happening. And what's happened is now when you look around the world, and I'm particularly brokenhearted at the state of the Western church, because as I said last week, uh, the Pew Research Council in America and Barna also have done some surveys over the last um, 10 years. And you know, less than 5% of the pastors in churches in America at the moment believe in the virgin birth less than 5%, they won't preach it, they won't teach it. 
They refused to discuss the cross and Jesus upon it and the shed blood, the paid sacrifice for your sins and mine that make us acceptable to God. And they certainly do not believe in the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up a kingdom. They believe that we are supposed to set up the kingdom. What sort of job are we doing about it with it? It's not good. It really is not good. So the thing that really bothered me this, this week when I listened to these doctors, I was really upset because they start, one of the ladies started crying. She said, they're going to do things to human beings that we've never seen before. And there are things that they are planning through uh, 5G. Everyone know what 5G is? It's the new technology. If you watch things over the years, you put everything together like a jigsaw puzzle. And in 2016, there was a TED talk, T-E-D. Do you know, have you, do you ever watch TED talks? There was one in um, 19, uh, 2016 by a lady in America. And she said, we're working on developing the technology now that will use 5G to examine the thoughts of every human being. And if you have sad thoughts or bad thoughts, we will develop the technology to take your bad thoughts away and turn your sad thoughts into happy thoughts. What's that? Mind control. These people are terrified of independent thinking people who can make decisions for, the mo for themselves. And our only refuge, the only refuge in this world at the moment, to be fair, is biblical Christian faith. And if you have this book preached to you every week, you have at least something to ground you for the next seven days to keep you sane in, what, in the face of everything that's happening. I just cannot fathom the minds that have been behind this. I can try and understand it, but it's, it's astonishing. But I'm telling you right now, in my, in, my own, um, in my own belief, this is a thesis of mine, it's not a biblical doctrine, I believe that if they're eventually going to release a, a vaccine that has got recombinant um, DNA material in it, that reminds me about a period of time when Satan tried this a long time ago and Jesus stepped in. And I want you to turn to um, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 was one of the ultimate... Um, events uh, in, in the Old Testament. There is a verse, uh, Genesis 3.15, don't turn to it, it's just called the Proto-Evangelium, and it is the promise by Jesus to Adam and, and Satan in the garden that the seed, of woman will, the seed of the woman will eventually triumph over the seed of the serpent. And that means that we win eventually. So what um, Satan has been doing ever since is to trying to frustrate that promise given to um, Eve and to humanity in the garden. 
that the seed, of the, uh, the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, the virgin birth, is going to eventually have victory over that. But in Genesis chapter 6, we see um, Satan's incredible uh, attempt to do something to humanity to prevent that ever from coming to pass. In verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took, their wives, for, uh, took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, the sons of God are the Benai Elohim, and there are three um, interpretations of this. I've got no time for the first two. These are the Benai Elohim. These are the fallen angels. These are the fallen angels. And people say, oh, but angels don't recreate or procreate or whatever. And they use Matthew 22 as a proof text of that. Matthew 22's got nothing to do with that. And if I have time... Uh, well, we might go there and I'll show you it had absolutely nothing to do with angels procreating. And the sons of God saw that the daughters men that they were beautiful and they took them wives uh, of all whom they chose. The Im implication in there is that they didn't propose and ask. There was an act of force about this. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for indeed he is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. That is from the Lord saying that there was 120 years that an event is going to happen. And in verse 4, the progeny of this, this uh, unholy union, there were giants, Nephilim, on the earth in those days. And Nephilim actually means the fallen ones, the children of the fallen ones. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, and these were the mighty men of, who were of old, men of renown. These were actually um, hybrid human beings, uh, the Nephilim. Verse 5, And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I turn around, we haven't got them up there, but you look at them and this is where you understand it. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Um, some of your um, versions might have the word repent. Anyone here got a version that's got repent? Hopefully not. God's never repented of anything in his life. Repent is to change your mind. God's omniscient. He knew everything that was going to happen. He would never not know of anything that happened. And in fact, from eternity past, just to shake you up a little bit, he knew of everyone that would be in this room here today fellowshipping and worship and service to him. Because if he didn't, he couldn't be omniscient. Do you see what I mean? There's nothing he doesn't know. Which is our confidence, by the way. And so verse 7, and the Lord, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And verse 8 but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, I don't know, can you go to verse 9 as well, Eric, please? This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, and listen to this, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. What does that verse mean? 
it means that Noah, alone with his family, are the only people left on the earth not affected by this, this thing. It's, it's a DNA thing. And I always wondered as, as a kid, because we were taught at, um, at Sunday school about this flood and having to put all these animals on the ark and all the rest of it. And when you become an adult Christian and you look back at all of this sort of thing, you can understand why. Why? Because Satan was well on his way to stopping humanity ever being able to produce a Messiah. And so what happened? You had a flood, a universal flood that solved the problem. And the only people to survive the flood were Noah and his wife, Ham, Shem and Japheth and their wives, and they repopulated the earth. It was the Noahic covenant. And uh, the other thing, fascinating thing I find about uh, talking to Chuck Missler, and he, he's got it in his teachings, that there was a very smart young lady that joined um, the Koinonia House um, study group and she was a, a biologist and a, and a PhD in this area. And they were, dis, they were examining the mitochondria within the DNA of women to see how far back you could go and trace mankind. And she was telling Chuck this personally. And she said, Chuck, we've gone back that far that we can trace the human race back to three men and one woman. And Chuck said, that doesn't make any sense. I thought you were going to say one man and one woman. And they said, she said, no, we've hit a wall at three men and one woman. So the woman goes all the way back to Eve. But who were the three men? Ham, Shem and Japheth. So there, the mitochondria in each and every one of our DNA proves that we descended at least from them. And you know when it comes down to this thing that black, like, black lives matter, what this proves is that we're all brothers and sisters, one another. There is only one race on this earth and we are only descended from one set of grandparents in the garden and we're the children of one father in heaven and we're saved by one Son of God coming down and dying on the cross for us. That was the problem. We are now living in some amazing times and we've got time, just turn quickly to Luke 17, 26 to 30. This is one of these famous, there's another one in Matthew, but I like the Luke one better because it reveals something a little bit more than the Matthew one does. And verse 26, this is Jesus speaking. If you've got a red letter Bible, it's all red on these pages. And so, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. What is it? In the days of Noah, an attack on the human genome an attack on the human genome. What have we got right at the moment planned for us? An attack on the human genome. There's 
as Don Stewart would say, you can't make this stuff up. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Go back to verse 26. The last few words of that verse is the days of the Son of Man. That's where we are right now. We are in the days of the Son of Man about to return. But what happens down in verse 30? All these things, the punishment of the wicked will be occasioned on the day when Jesus is revealed. When is he revealed? When he comes back from heaven. And by the way, he's got some people riding with him. I hope you've been doing your equestrian training because <laughs> it's you and I. Believe it or not, it's you and I. You've got no idea of the privilege and the plans that God has got, has got for you and I. You have got no idea. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of the things that God has for those who love him. Isaiah 64 verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, Paul repeats it. It's a promise. We cannot conceive of what God has got for us. But knowing God, and I've got to the stage now in my life when I cried out decades ago when I was doing a study on Peter who denied Christ three times and he was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said to him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He had to do that three times because Peter denied him three times. And I cried out to him as a um, guy working in the mining industry. Some of you men will understand. Blokey blokes don't really know how to take the term the bride of Christ, which is what we are. It's a technical term. Um, and I cried out to him. I said, Lord, how, how can I love you? You know, I, I want to love you. And over the next few years, he just put me through some training exercises that I wasn't asking for in particular. And you know what? I love him. I can stand here in front of men, women and children and I say, I now love my Father in heaven and I love my Saviour. And I can't wait to see them. But we've got work to do until that time. And when you think of that gallery of people up there, I need to explain something to you. Can you turn in your Bibles to Revelation 18? And we're looking at verses 9 to 13. You know, if you've got... And I'm not knocking the Rothschilds. The, the, you know, they're an unusual family. They have done some good things over the years. They've been philanthropists and, and benefactors and all the rest of it. But if you've got $500 trillion in the bank... Oh, by the way, Chuck Missler told me that they have 80 palaces around the world. 80, eight zero, 
Makes the Queen look a bit poor, doesn't it? <laughs> but if you've got $500 trillion, you can have 80 palaces. But there's only so many palaces you can live in. There's only so many $3 million Rolls Royces you can buy. You can only drive one at a time. There are only so many things you can buy and there comes a stage when who cares anymore? If you can, it doesn't matter. It's when you can't and you want, that's when it matters. But in Revelation chapter um, um, 18, I'm going to show you why these people have finally come to this position. And in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her. This is the Babylonian world system. This is the system that we had on the bottom row, which is the cashless society um, and, and uh, one world government and all the rest of it, but there are people at the top of this. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her Babylon will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. This is at the very end of the tribulation when God destroys the world system that these people are involved in. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And this is the merchandise. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat. All of those things are things, commodity. Now, note the subtle change. It goes from wheat to cattle, living thing, to sheep, living things, horses and chariots, living things. And what's the last two categories? I've got them. It's in the King James for a reason because it says slaves and the souls of men. When you have everything that you can buy, the ultimate desire of your heart is to control men. Henry Kissinger said it years ago. Power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. And when you have power over mankind, you can just imagine the perversity in the mind. And I don't know if we've got time. Oh, yeah, we've got time. I was going to take you to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. I might do that next time. There is something I want you to remember and take away from here. This is a short four-minute testimony of a real event that happened about two weeks ago in South Africa. But listen how she got the victory because this is the best lesson you are ever going to get this week. Right? And I want you to watch this video. Eric? Hey, I'm Jackie. Um, I live in South Africa, um, Gauteng. I want to testify today of the goodness of the Lord. Um, on Wednesday, the 10th of July, I came from um, 
errands that I had to attend to. And as I was going down the road, I approached my house, got out of my car, and as usual, I take out my key of the ignition, but I also locked the vehicle. Um, I don't have a remote gate, so manually I have to open it. I got out of the car, and um, as I was walking towards the gate, I saw a vehicle, a single cab bucky, uh, reversing and stopped. They stopped behind my car. Um, there were um, four main. Uh, two at the back of the vehicle and two inside the vehicle. The one got off and as he approached me, um, you know, I just stood still because I cannot go into my yard. The gates are still closed. I cannot, uh, the safest is not to get into my car. And the first thing that he said was, um, I'm not going to hurt you. And I said, yes, because I looked him in the eyes and... As he said that, um, you know, I kept quiet and I saw the other guy um, getting off the bucket also to come towards me. And this guy said, um, you need to come with us. And at that moment, I knew that they are not going to hijack me. They don't want my vehicle, but they want to harm me. And... Um, I kept on looking the guy in the eyes and um, I said to him, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to leave now. And that guy that got off the bucky got onto the bucky again. The other one turned around, got into the bucky and they drove off. I did not get into my car again or nothing. I went straight to my house, locked myself into the house and started to praise and worship God because I realized what he has done for me at that moment. Um, I just realized the power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other power. I had no weapon, no gun, nothing, no alarm to go off, no panic button, nothing with me. But I know, for I know, that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is the weapon that I used against the enemy Wednesday, the 10th of July, 2020. It was one o'clock the afternoon. And I just know that, you know what, when they looked me into, when that guy looked me into the eyes, he did not see me, but he saw something greater than me because he did not face me, but he faced the king of all kings, the great I am, the mighty God that I serve. And there is no other name on earth that has, or in the heavens, that have so much power. And I saw it on Wednesday. So I just want to glorify his name today. And I want this testimony to reach people out there that have lost hope. People that have tried everything in their life. People, there is no salvation in any other name. Um, 
there is no other name that can do what he did on Wednesday for me. I am... There is no other name under heaven by which every one of us here can be saved. Jesus. And don't you ever forget that. It's power in the name. And if we had um, enough time and we don't, it's a tragedy. But I would have sung that name again, I speak Jesus. I just love it, be quiet. It's telling me it's time. Don't ever forget that. Don't forget the power in the name. Don't forget who you walk with. Don't forget who saved you. And don't forget who's coming back for you. Father, we just thank you for this afternoon. We just embed Jesus' name into our heart and our consciousness, Father. And that every day that we wake up and everywhere we go each and every day, may the name of Jesus not ever leave our mind and may it be always on our lips to whomever we are speaking to that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only solution, the saving power to this world. Vaccines, evil people, he sweeps them away. His love for us was so manifest that on the cross he died for us, bearing our sins in our place. And Father, there is coming a time when we will sing your praise forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Until that time, Father, may Jesus reign in our hearts. And all God's people said...